0: Oh, don't look at me like that. I'm not up here to stop the worship. I'm here to increase it. And my hope over the next couple of minutes as we dive into God's word is that you wouldn't be all excited now to hear from God, but that you hear from God and be all excited to worship him. That's where we're going today. All on board? Excited by that? Hearing from God? Amen. There's no uh, better, more biblical, more inspiring, more visionary, no more God-glorifying goal for us as a church across all the campuses that we have, across the regions and the square mileage and the influence that we've been given by God. There's there's nothing greater than for us to declare that all we are and all we do is all about him. This is a theme of creation and the history of the world so that as our missionaries, some of our global partners from around the world just in different languages uh, show it how the gospel's going out in uh, Colossians chapter 1. It says that in everything Christ may have the supremacy. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says that from him and to him and through him are all things to God be the glory. This is the mega theme of Scripture. This is why we take a weekend here at Bethel Church at the beginning of school, at the end of summer, the beginning of fall, this like weird, extra motivated time in our lives to like actually focus on something we take time to focus on the one who gives us everything if if, uh, if you had a chance to talk to one of your friends one of your neighbors maybe about like your church like, like they'd ask you you're going to get the mail there across the street and they say hey you go to you go to Bethel church don't you what's that church all about you just have that one brief moment that awkward exchange across the street they, they've opened the door for you and they, you, you, what would you say What would you say your church is all about? Um, Some people would say, well, um, a church is about, it's a place where I've gone and I found healing. Um, That definitely happens here. Some people would say, well, uh, we've got a great community. There's tons of people who love each other at our church. And so the church is about finding that community and that love. And thank God that this is a loving community. I'm grateful for that. Um, And that happens here for sure. Some of you might say, well, it's a place where we open the Bible and we just stay in the Bible and we want to know what the Bible says about life. And we definitely open the Bible. I'm going to have you turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1 in a second. That's definitely what we're about. But you know that church is more than just about um, healing and about friendships and about the Bible, right? Bethel Church, God is for the church and the church is for God. I'll preach today. And you'll say amen at some point today. This is what we're all about. Everything we do is all about him. And, and that's why I'm delighted to be here this morning to, 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 to realize that we as Bethel Church, we have its purpose rooted and grounded and growing always in the increasing praise and adoration and glory of Jesus Christ as our king. And so for all, for all of us here, we kind of, if you've been coming to Bethel for any length of time, you've heard us say the phrase, it's all about him. Um, and that's definitely true of us as a church, but I hope you have in your mind today this question, well, if our church is all about him, that's great, I get that, but how is my life individually, how, how is all about him help me? What does it mean for me? And I don't often give you permission, permission to be selfish. Um, but that's a great question. And, and Romans, one of the beautiful things that Paul does in Romans is not only does he explain to us like how God is at work in the world saving the world on a macro level. We definitely learned that. But Paul drills down in Romans to to personalize it for us, to say this, that God is at work in salvation across the globe and throughout history. And God saves the world individually. And that's what I want to show us today is that you and I, our lives are all about him individually. If we took a survey uh, of the state of our lives today in 2018 in America. I'm glad we don't lead our church by surveys, because um, let's be honest, church people are crazy. I'm crazy, you're crazy, we're all crazy, right? But if we had a survey of like, like, how's your life going? What's the state of your life today? Um, I think if we had psychologists represented on this board to help us understand this, if we had teachers represented on this board to help us understand this, academic advisors, financial planners, doctors, baristas, bartenders, car mechanics, and steel workers, all alike would say this, we are a stressed out people. Amen? Like, you got some stress in your life. Can we just out ourselves today? You got some stress in your life? Y'all, I'm going on vacation in a couple minutes, and I'm stressed about it. Isn't that crazy? Like, literally, in like two hours, we're rolling out of Valparaiso. We're going up to Michigan. Um, call me if you want. I might not have cell service. But I'm like, in my mind, between services, talking to my wife, like, okay, we got to get the tent. We got to get the thing. We got to make sure that, oh, did you think about this? Like, stressed out. It's crazy. Vacation. And we have regular worries in our society today. Things like, um, how are we raising the kids? And do we have enough money? And how long am I going to stay in this job before I go to that job? And those are regular worries in our society. Recently, um, I came across a pretty unique study that was done not too long ago, just a couple months ago, ironically, it was completed using students at the same high school that I graduated from, you know, back in the aughts, back, back in my day. Um, they, they used students this year um, in a town that I know very well to find out the state of teenage stress. And unsurprisingly, this won't shock you at all, teenagers today are more stressed out today than they ever have been in uh, recorded history. Just 10 years ago, students felt stressed out by all the activities they were in, uh, by homework levels, and by the parents' expectations of high grades in their life. And today, students don't cite any of those issues as causing stress except for the high grades. Instead, they talk about the subtle and never-ending anxieties of living life on social media. And that kind of makes sense for us because even as adults, you flip through Instagram and you go, how did that guy afford that vacation? Or how, 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 how did those people have have that party, and I wasn't invited to it. As adults, you do this. Let alone put yourself in the, in the shoes of a 15-year-old who is, in the past, wasn't invited to a party, and they didn't even know about it, but now they're going to sleep at night, and they're flipping through their phone before they close their eyes, and they're seeing all the wonderful things that have happened in everybody else's life while they weren't there. Stress. What, what, where is my place in the world? What am I doing? How do I find validation? We are a fidgety society. We are naturally led to worry about our place in the world. I even even worried about starting this message on All About Him Sunday, about talking about worry, lest I cause you to worry more. We worry. And All About Him is an antidote to worry. We need what comes only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need our lives to be fundamentally changed, not just so that we can live the life that we want to live, but so that we can understand how to live the life that we were created to live in the first place. We need something deep inside of us to be shifted. And this is a message to all the people who are stressed out, who are worried about anything, who are enduring situations they prefer not to be in. They're anxious about their purpose. They're searching for something real to hold on to. It's with, with that as a backdrop that we come to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And I want you to read this all aloud with me uh, together as we dive into God's Word. we guys got two verses before us today. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Read this aloud with me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All of those words in that sentence are incredibly important for us to consider and understand Chapter 5, verse 1, it's one of the most important therefores, I think, ever. Romans is a book of logic, and many of the pivotal moments are highlighted to us by this word, therefore. It's Paul's way of making crystal clear the implications of what we've just covered. Um, Some of you, you uh, have conversations with your spouses, and one of you is a little less patient than the other, and this person is going on and on and on and on, and and you look at them. This never happens with me and Kristen, I promise you. But you look at the other person and you say, hey, get to the point, right? Therefore, is Paul's way of saying, here's the point. Getting to the point. Let me bottom line this for you. And to make sure maybe you've tuned out in Romans. I don't know. Maybe Paul thought, like, I just need to help you get back into my logic. Paul gives us two. He says, therefore, since. Paul could have just said, therefore, we have peace with God. But to understand this. These words and the sentence, we have to know that every single word in this is important because Paul wants us to connect the peace that we have with God to the justification we have by faith. And um, I just saw like 90% of your eyes roll to the back of your head because I just use words that you're like, what? Don't, can you promise me something? Don't tune out on me today. Yeah? Like, I want you to lean in. This is not beyond you to think theologically today with these terms. I'll do my best to explain them. But I want you to see the beauty and the glory about what it is that we have peace with God. And if you're here today lacking peace in your life, I want you to listen up for a moment. Because I really think these truths laid out here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 in Romans could change your life. We've spent... Weeks here understanding this phrase, justified by faith in Romans. Here's a quick reminder. Romans chapter 1, Paul, remind, Paul began his argument with the basic truth that all Gentiles are under the wrath of God. Chapter 2, he laid out that all Jews are under the wrath of God. Chapter 3, it was all of us, no matter who you were, are under the wrath of God. It all fall short of the glory of God. But chapter three also declares this gargantuan shift in history. Verse 21 says that now a righteousness, that is a right standing between you and God, from God has been made known. It's apart from the law. It's not by doing good things. It's made possible by faith in the Son of God, Jesus, for all who believe. So here's what this means, that that you and God can be in a right relationship together because Jesus came and made that possible. And if you have faith in Christ... God declares you righteous. And the word that we use to talk about this whole phenomenon is this word justification. In justification, again, lean in. Don't tune out. Don't, you got, you got me? Everybody say, I'm with you. Maybe you just need to say that word justification. justification. Okay, this is what we're talking about, justification. This is not the things of scholars. This is the things of our life, right? In justification... God declares the one who has faith in Jesus as not guilty any longer of their sins and therefore righteous in his sight. If you have faith in Jesus, do you know that God doesn't count your sins against you any longer? Thank you. One person heard it. How amazing is that, that that because by faith, if you've been tracking with us in Romans at all, you understand that it's just by faith in Jesus you can't do anything to earn this justification. Justification. Here's where we all used to be. We, also had, we all used to have family tensions with us in God. We, we had dysfunction with us in God. I, I remember one Thanksgiving, there was a, a family member in my family who, uh, they, they were having issues, just severe stress and tension. And it was funny to watch at Thanksgiving how these two people would walk around the room, around the house, this way. They would never intersect. If you've ever planned a wedding before and you did the little thing with the toothpicks, well, Aunt Jo can't sit next to Uncle Bobby because they fought 20 years ago and they don't want to be next to each other, so put them at a different table, right? That's called unrighteousness. There is no righteousness there. You can't be in the presence of the other. Why? Because there's tension. And Paul is saying, That because Jesus has come, he has made peace between us and God so that we can be at the same table once again. This is the point, that because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And this justification is not something you can do because your deeds are not that great. Instead, it's entirely earned, entirely merited, entirely accomplished by Jesus' death on the cross in our place for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. And so justification is given to us as a gift from God and it gives glory to God when we put our our trust and our faith in him for what he's done. Clear? Got it? If you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ, the Bible tells us that you are a new creation. Nicodemus said that he was born again. Um, All of us have been born. That's kind of why you're here. And... uh, I find it interesting that when you're born again, you're born completely. None of us were half born. You're all born. When you're born, you're born. You're like, not here and then here. And that's exactly how justification works. It is an instantaneous, on the spot. Friends, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, it was like this. It was like, not guilty, you're in my family. All of a sudden, forever, peace with God. And since we've been justified by faith, notice what this justification produces in our life. It produces peace with God. So, so I know I'm talking a lot of theology right now, but I want you to see this because this is so important for us. If you've been justified by faith, you live in a new objective reality. This is not some subjective thing. This is an objective reality. You have peace with God. And of all the gifts that I could ask God for. I could ask for some foolish ones. I could ask him for a Ferrari. I could ask him for a lot of money. I could ask God for some medium-sized ones. You know, I could ask him that my kids would come to faith in Christ, that they would have security of knowing where they're going when they die. You're like, that's a medium one? Yeah, that's a medium one. Why? Because peace is the ultimate gift that God could ever give us. None of those things matter if we cannot have peace with God. Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He could have said, therefore, since you're justified by faith, you have a warm feeling in your heart. And all of us might have been really excited about that. Don't we love warm fuzzies? Aren't we? You know, that's why you love watching Mr. Rogers. That's why you cry at sad movies that, t- that turn out well. That's why, um, you know, you listen to positive, encouraging, K-love, right? You like warm fuzzies. We like people to be positive. And... Um, Paul doesn't say, hey, since you've come to Christ and been justified by faith, your life is going to be happy. Paul also, he doesn't say, therefore, since you've been justified by faith, you have a blank slate. Even though, praise God, when we come to Christ, we do. What does Paul say? He says, therefore, since you have had this gargantuan shift in your life where you used to be against God, but now God is for you, you have peace. With God. And it's permanent. It's the new reality in which we live our lives. Forever we are at peace with God. The war is over. There's a tremendously good news for us, even if you didn't know that you and God were at odds. When Paul says that we have peace with God, there's a picture he has in his mind. If you have your Bible open, you can skip down just to verse 10. You read the first couple of words. It says, for if while we were enemies of God... That's the scene Paul has in his mind here. It's a battlefield. You and I were against God before we were in Christ. Before you knew the gospel, before you knew the good work of Jesus in your place, you were, friends, an enemy against God. You were on the battlefield fighting against him. Before Jesus, you and I had taken our own stance of independence and rebellion and condemnation, and and that always means war. And the reason that we have peace is good news is because before Jesus we had unwittingly put ourselves under the curse of God's wrath and hang with me for a moment because I want to remind you of this Romans 1:18 it says bluntly for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth so so get the picture you and I cannot escape the reality that is harsh of a truth as this may be. I'm reminded of when Jesus preached. People heard him and they said, that is a hard truth. Who could accept it? And I I think right here, guys, this is a hard truth for us to accept. But you and I, at one point in our lives, we had all the weight and the force of God in our lives was not working for us. It was working against us. We had been positioned under God's wrath. Some night, um, maybe this week, go out into the country. Is that like Laporte or something like that? <laughs> go out to the, the country. Um, get away from the lights and look up at the stars. I'm kind of looking forward to doing that this week myself. And um, when you look up in the sky, what you'll be able to see, particularly here in the Midwest, is about one 40th millionth. Of the stars in our galaxy called the Milky Way. Here's a, here's a picture of the Milky Way. It's not a candy bar, uh, although it'd be amazing if that was all candy. This the Milky Way is actually a disk. I had to do some research on this this week. I didn't actually know this. I thought it was just a blob. It's actually a disk, and it has um it has a a, a radius. It has a it has a thickness to it. Milky Way. It is 100 million light years across our galaxy which means it's roughly 600,000 trillion miles across. It's 2,000 light years thick. The sun is a little speck on the inside of that that is moving throughout this galaxy at about 150 miles per second and will finish its first orbit in this galaxy in about 250 billion years. Years, and there are at least fifty billion more galaxies like this. That's a conservative estimate. God spoke, and this came to be from nothing. That's the God who is angry about sin. There is no more perilous situation to be in than to have infinite power against you and not for you. You have to feel that burden today before the good news of the gospel can become truly good to you. Like, why am I so pumped about Jesus? Why are are we so pumped about Jesus? Because this, because in spite of our arrogance and our ignorance, Jesus was moved out of his infinite power and compassion to come to our world, to our side of the universe, to live among us and to die for us. What's amazing about justification by faith is that if you have trusted in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, you're no longer fighting against God. You're no longer subject to the wrath of God. But you realize that Jesus entered the battle for us. And he was crushed by God in our place. And he rose from the dead victoriously. And the debt has been paid. And his life is now ours and we who were at once against war with our sovereign God have now been brought close to him with peace from God forever. And that's not a feeling. That's a fact. Amen. Forever peace. This is what this is. Paul says, therefore, since you've been justified by faith in the past, you have now peace with God forever. And this is kind of amazing because even though you and I have lived in a time of relative peace in America, we actually don't have a guarantee that um, future conflict might not be waged on our soil, do we? I mean, it's been since the Civil War that I can, I was taught in history class, that's probably the last major scale full war on our entire soil. And yet, friends, when you were justified by faith in Jesus Christ, you know that the war was completely over forever and the peace that was brokered by God for us is an eternal peace. You never have to wonder if you'll be on the wrong side of God again. Amen? That is the peace that we have with God and it's only when we live in the awareness of this objective reality, this is why I'm kind of plodding my way through this justification by faith, it's only when you live in this objective reality that we can ever have hope to experience the subjective reality, what I feel in me, that I can have the peace of God. And you see, I've used those words pretty carefully. In justification by faith, I have peace with God, which leads to the peace of God. You're like, well, what's the difference? Well, there's actually a, a pretty, pretty big difference. And if we get them out of order, we're going to wander our whole lives and wonder our whole lives and wonder why is my life not actually at peace? It's because too often we try and live our lives with this own subjective feeling that uh, I should know God and he should be for me. But maybe it's because we've never actually settled the matter by justification by faith. Here's, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Peace from God is made available in Jesus, who by faith justifies us to have peace with God. Peace with God produces the peace of God in our hearts. Paul's not talking about feeling good in the midst of trials per se in Romans chapter 5, at least verse 1. What he's talking about is the fact that the war has been settled. And what happens when the war is settled? You live your life in a confidence, in an assurance, knowing that around the corner is not going to be someone waiting to take you down, that no longer do you have to fight with God. You know, as I've been preparing my heart for this message this week, I spent a couple long days in the office and would go home driving through the cornfields to my house and um, something about the peacefulness of that experience just led me to pray on my ways home. And, found myself just thanking God. God, thanks that I don't have to, because of Jesus, I don't have to fight against you anymore. Thanks that I know in my heart I fight you, but I know that you're going to win. Thanks, God, that forever I don't have to wonder if you're going to be angry with me, but through Christ, you're happy with me. And thank you, God, for the fact that knowing that I'm at peace with you provides peace in me. It was Charles Spurgeon who once said, That justification by faith puts us in a state of peace so that we can feel a sense of peace. And it's this forever peace that I think lets, you know, our friends David and Maddie go through the trials that they've gone through and shed tears of disappointment and shed tears of sorrow, but not shed tears of fear as if God was judging them for their sins or if God had reneged on his peace. We're going to say a lot about this next week as Paul, in verse 3, talks about suffering through trials on account of the peace that we have with God. But for today, I want you to know this. If you don't have peace in your heart, it might not be because you don't have peace in your future. It's only by coming to Christ and getting peace with God through Christ that we can ever sense the internal peace and freedom from the anxiety in our hearts. I had a woman come up to me earlier today say, my husband hasn't been eating in four days. It looks like he's going to die. I'm going to the funeral home this week. I'd like you to pray for me. And we cried right there. And why is that not a hell on earth moment? Because she knows her husband has made peace with God. Peace with God lets you die, the peace of God lets you live. And thank God in Christ we have both. That's the good news that when you understand that you've been fighting against God and that God has, through Christ, put an end to your rebellion, you come to the words that Jesus said, that if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. So since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Friends, if you don't have peace in your future, I I ask you today to settle that matter with God. Find peace in Jesus. Put your faith in him that you might be reconciled to God as a child of his. I thank God that we have peace with him. And the peace of God doesn't just leave us forgiven, it's the groundwork for our relationship with God. Like, like what good is peace if you don't get God in the end, right? And here's what Paul says in the second verse of Romans chapter 5. you guys still with me? Stay with me. This is is good gospel today. This is what he says. He says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So not only did the Prince of Peace put to rest our rebellion through the work on his cross in the past, today in the present we are brought by Christ to the highest authority, to the throne of grace in heaven. This is what I want to call just a majestic gift that we stand in grace. I want to walk through this with you because it's profound. To obtain access, some of you, um, the only way that you've ever obtained access in your life is when you punch your key code into your garage. You're like, boop, 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 boop. It'd be cooler if, like, Alexa was like, you've been granted access. And some of you, you ask to follow your friends on Instagram and see their pictures, and when they approve you, you have obtained access. But that's kind of a weak form of what Paul is actually saying here. Um, To obtain access is literally to uh, have a royal escort. Here's what I mean. I guess it's technically possible for you to, hand me a working key to the Oval Office. A key that like actually fits when it's put in the lock, it turns the thing. But um, unless I have an invitation from some person, I don't even know who, who grants that request, but, but if I were to walk, you know, somehow into the, the, the White House and get to the door and try and put the key in the door, Secret Service would be all over me asking like, hey, where's your badge? Hey, what's your name? Hey, what are you doing there? Hey, take this guy to Azkaban. Get him out of here, right? That's what... That's what, that's what would be going on. I'd be being dragged away. I'd have the key, but I wouldn't have access. And in the same way, in the same way Paul is saying, hey, you don't just have the key to having peace with God. You have access into the most sacred places. Jesus brings us into the very presence of God, into his grace, it's called. The early... We may put the verse back up, but but the early church would have read this. Paul would be writing to the Romans, uh, and, and they'd read this. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And Those who came out of Judaism would have heard this as temple language. Because in the Old Testament, there was only one person once a year who could go into the Holy of Holies and stand in the presence of God. In the New Testament, the gospel writers record for us that when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. The gospel writers tell us that the thick temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom as if God was ripping up the dividing wall between us and himself. Uh, we, we sang that song, the veil tore before you. Today we sing that. And it was torn because of the sacrifice of Christ that became the bridge by which we enter into the presence of God's grace. And friends, here's how great justification is. That anyone who believes in Jesus has the peace with God and therefore has the right to approach God's throne of grace, but not by their own authority. You are escorted with the royal escort to the king of kings by the prince of peace. Romans 5.1, it was set in the battlefield of war, but here we have in Romans 5.2, the enemies of God who are waging war against him, now God has made his children and he's granted access for them to the holiest place where God is, his majestic throne room, where God exercises his power. And he says it's by faith we have access into this grace, into this grace. Everybody say this grace. I was studying this this week because the, the words in the Bible are actually important. And I was studying them, and I, I had no idea. I was like, this grace? Paul, why didn't you just say grace? What's, what's up with this grace? It seems so specific. And uh, my, my grandfather used to say this to me. He'd say, you know, when I study the Bible, I talk to the Bible, and I find when I talk to my Bible, my Bible talks to me. So here I was this week in my office saying, Paul, what's up with this? Why this grace? What are you talking about? This grace in which we stand. And as I was talking it out, as I was thinking about it out loud, you could have walked in and thought I was crazy. You probably would have fired me. Like, this guy's too charismatic for Bethel Church. Uh, as I was reading it out loud, thinking about it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 came to my mind. You know that great passage where Paul talks about the gospel. He says this. He says, now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you in which you received. And say it with me. In which you. The same as Romans chapter 5 verse 2. Through Christ we have obtained access into this faith or this grace by faith in which we stand. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15 that there's a past, a present, and a future dimension to the gospel. The gospel is not just something you believe once that gets you into heaven. It's a constant daily reminder that the ground on which you walk is always gospel ground. Something happens when you're justified by faith where everything in your life becomes sacred to God. And so the way that you go about your business dealings has to be marked by the gospel. The way that you covenant yourself to your spouse, even in the hard times, is, is, has to do with how you see the gospel. The way that you raise your kids is all about how you, how, you, how you understand the gospel, how you stand, how you live today in this present day. You stand in God's grace. It's the power by which we even live this Christian life is grace. But then I started looking at this and realized Paul talks even more, verse 8 about this grace. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the, what's that word? Grace. Great. Say, say it like you mean it. Grace. Of God, I am what I am. And his grace, grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked Harder than any of them, those are the people that uh, first saw Jesus. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is Paul's testimony in a nutshell, that I was an enemy of God persecuting the church, but God made peace with me when I heard the gospel and I was justified by faith. And now I have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, this present day working of God's power through me. We have the peace of God which leads to the grace of God, his power working itself out in our lives in all these situations. Friends, how do you go through hell and back here on earth? How does my friend tell me that her husband hasn't eaten in four days and is probably going to be buried by the end of the week? Stand and tell me that. Because her life has been marked by the grace, the power, That intangible love and kindness of God in her by which we have power to endure the hard things in life. That's next week. That's what verses 3, 4, and 5 are going towards. And Paul says it's this grace. Which makes me think it's not ordinary grace. Ordinary grace is when my kids don't clean their room and I give them an allowance anyway. That's cheap grace. This is Sovereign grace. This is grace that rules and reigns in your life. This is the grace that governs all things in you so that you have confidence and power on a daily basis to live out the gospel. But but even more so, this is sovereign grace that when we come to the end of our days, we will not be like, like Isaiah who walked into the presence of God in Isaiah 6. And he was in the presence of God and he saw God and he said, woe is me, and he fell down on his face in the presence of God. This sovereign grace is the grace by which we at the end of days will have confidence to stand faultless before the throne of God. This is sovereign grace that empowers us and cleans us and works within us so that the character of Christ's likeness is wrought within us in this life. You know, we we have this Hope that we look forward to in our lives. And and I want you to to know, friends, that at the end of days, if you have been justified by faith, God will give you grace to stand in his presence. And if you stand in his presence on that last day, it will not be because of any try-hard attitude or thing that you did here on earth. It will be only, completely, totally on the sovereignty of God's grace. That he is so good that he saved even me. Sovereign grace, amen. And so we call that a majestic gift, right? This is a a reigning gift. Paul says that, where do I get this thought? It comes from Romans 5, the end of uh, chapter 5, verse 21. He says this, so that as sin reigns in death, reign is a kingly word, grace might also reign in power. Grace is God's power. Grace is God's dominion. Grace is God's authority in your life. I once heard uh, Pastor John Piper say this. He said, entering into this grace is not like walking into a field of daisies. Isn't that so true? Isn't that how we feel about grace sometimes? We're like, God's gracious. It's like going and picking flowers in a beautiful garden. No, no. Grace reigns, which means walking into God's grace is like walking into the power of a hurricane of God's dominion. Why? Why? Because in justification by faith, all the power that was at work against us in the wrath of God is all of a sudden transferred in us by faith through grace that the power of God might work inside of us to keep us standing. That's a majestic gift that our king would call us into his presence and into his power to stand before him. And friends, we're going to sing in just a moment. And uh, I want you to know this because some of you walked into church today with a guilty conscience. And we have tremendously good news in the midst of our bad news. I want you to know I'm excited to tell you today that though you may have walked in at odds with God, you can have peace with God through Jesus today. You can have grace from God through Jesus today. By the grace of God, you are no longer a sinner but a child. By the grace of God, because of Christ, you are no longer at war with God but you have peace with God By the grace of God, you who were once locked out of Eden were brought near into the very presence of God where his power has full effect in your life. And God's sovereign grace, his undeserved kindness can be at work in your life if you just trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross. That's the gift that justification by faith gives to us. That's why our lives should be lived at the end of Romans chapter 5 verse 2. This is what he says. He says that our lives are all about him. Okay, he doesn't say that. Notice what he does say. And after this, I'll be done. And we'll sing. He says this through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here's why it took so long getting us to this point. Romans chapter 5, verse 2, I think is the main point of what Paul is driving at in the book of Romans that we would rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I could have just stood up here today and said, hey, do you know God loves you? God has a wonderful plan for your life. God wants to be your friend. God wants to save you. Rejoice in the hope of God's glory. And you would have been like, warm feelings, great. And no peace with God. I could have stood up here and said, you know, if you just come to Jesus, confess all your sins, he's going to wipe them all out. blot of clean us, no. And you would have been like, hurrah, let's go sin some more. When you understand that the war is perfectly, finally over with us in God, when you understand that not only did God make peace with us, but He gives us a relationship with Him by which we can stand in His presence, the Almighty God, which you were you 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 had fought against with all of your being, has called you into His presence. We have but one glorious response to that: is to praise and rejoice in God's hope. Amen? Justification by faith. It's a a theoretical abstraction. It is a pastoral philosophy. It is theology 101. But friends, I want you to know this. It is what we bank our lives on. That Jesus Christ is enough for us. There's, There's no sacrifice you can bring here except for the sacrifice of faith. Say, God, I believe in you. And with my life, I worship you. God's peace, it brings us power, which leads us always to praise. And this is where Paul brings us. He says, rejoice. In other English versions of the Bible, they say, exalt in the hope of glory of God. To boast about it, to shout about it, to to cry out across all the globe of what God has done in Christ. When I look at this, that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, it reminds me that at one point in Romans 3, it was that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here, just a couple verses later, because of what Christ has done, we no longer fall short. Friends, if you're in Christ, you don't fall short any longer. Instead, what God's glory does in you is it incites you to, to, to what I can only call riotous worship, worship that is so so excited about the Lord. Worship that is so encouraged by what God has done in their life. Worship that can't help but scream out of the top of their lungs how great is our God. How worthy His name. How majestic His love. How worthy His grace. How amazing His salvation. How good His peace. How amazing His grace for us. That He would save even me.